Good morning. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning um, uh, on this uh, fourth Sunday of Advent. And uh, yeah, just before I begin this morning, uh, it would be good if we turned it down in-house a little bit. That'd be awesome. Um, it's great to have in-house, though. I do appreciate that. Uh, be- <laughs> oh, it's been so much fun this morning. Listen, I just want to, uh, before we start this morning, I just want to say some thank yous. Uh, we were here, of course, yesterday. Um, afternoon to remember our good friend Rob Pelland, uh, and we were here with a, a small group of people, including CJ and the boys and a few others, but honestly, kudos and thanks need to go to Lorraine for all of the work that she did on the videos and so forth, um, a major uh, help to all of us on that, and also for Jonathan and, and Jeff at the back and, and helping to stream all that and make it work, and uh, for Nick and Heather and for beautiful worship and time that we had together. Uh, it was just uh, wonderful, and I hope that those of you who were able to attend with us were blessed. There was a, a ten of us in house here, according to the regulations. Uh, but at one point, I saw that the, on the Facebook live stream there were 135 plus streams, which means uh, there were many more people. And then afterwards, we all got together for some Zoom chat together, which went on for a few hours, and that was awesome. So, blessings to you, and, and thank you for all of that yesterday. Uh, we are going to be today in Matthew chapter 12, verses, chapter 2, pardon me, verses 1 to 12. I'll get that right. And uh, continuing uh, in our series uh, for Advent. So I'm going to do what we normally do uh, is read that passage in its complete totality. But before that, I have two very quick messages, uh, pardon me, announcements for you that were not on the previews, I don't think. The first is, is that uh, yes, it's our year-end giving uh, announcement. Uh, we like to do that to let you know that, uh, of course, for tax receipts, uh, your giving must be either done online or in and deposited by December 31st. Just want to say to you that uh, a, a big, big thank you to our church family. Uh, despite this year, despite the things that we've been going through, um, you have been faithful and in many cases, and in a few cases, I should say, extremely sacrificial in your giving. And we just want to thank you for that. We are so close to reaching our budget for the whole year. All we need to do is reach our December budget. So those of you who uh, are into those things and see our e-newsletter, and you can see the statistics, we're getting close. And so we're trusting that we will be faithful and get there by December 31st. Uh, the second announcement is uh, really important as well. Uh, this coming Thursday night is Christmas Eve. I know. I know. It's... <laughs> Uh, it seems to catch me every year, but uh, so we won't be gathering like we normally would here. The last two years, two services uh, live here at the ledge, downstairs full, upstairs full. We can't do that this year. So we are pre-recording a service for you. It will be streamed live at two different times at 5 p.m. and at 7 p.m. Uh, so that, uh, depending on uh, your plans and, and your schedules with kids, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, you can... Uh, you can log on and you can watch the live stream at 5 p.m. It'll be about a one-hour show uh, with, with carol singing and some scripture reading and, of course, a, a short word. And uh, so we invite you to join us on Christmas Eve for our Christmas 2020. <laughs> uh, that'll be an awesome time together. All right, I'm going to read our passage for today, all 12 verses. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a look at what God has to say to us this morning. Read with me, would you? Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? 
For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, O you, uh, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, today we look to you in amazement at how you prepared all these things. How in your preparation you give us great hope, great joy, and ultimately, peace. So, Lord Jesus, I pray today that uh, as we look at these words in this story today of your birth, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you, uh, would you just comfort our hearts today? Would you give us excitement and renewed passion and joy for this next week that lies ahead of us as we prepare to celebrate your birth, Jesus? and much more. I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your holy and worthy name. Amen. Amen. So this message that uh, we're going to look at today, um, I thankfully had already prepared a few weeks ago. Uh, and then, as you know, we lost uh, Rob two weeks ago yesterday, and so that Sunday got changed up. And um, it's, it's funny because at the time, I felt like I was going to need to have to explain to you that, okay, wait a second. Are we not getting a little ahead of ourselves here in our Advent celebrations, looking at a passage uh, when it's after the birth of Jesus? You heard that, right? And so at the time, I was going to explain that a little bit, and now I'm doing it again, uh, just to say the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing, <laughs> and he's lining it up. The theme for that week was preparation, and that's why the Holy Spirit put this passage on my heart and if I, as I said, delivered it a few weeks ago, I think you would have asked the question, wait, what, what are you doing? This is a bit early. So really, uh, it's amazing how he's lined this up. And I still want to focus today with you on that idea from this passage of preparation. But first, a thought that came to my mind after the first week when we looked at the idea of hope, the, the first Advent message, 
There was an important point about the concept of hope that we really didn't have time in one message to unpack. And so that, I thought I'd bring that up today. You, you remember this, that at the time of the passage in Isaiah, the prophecy, the people were in captivity in Babylon. They were in exile. They were greatly distressed. And they were also greatly discouraged. The one thing they needed more than anything in that day, and of course we do today, was hope. Like, really, hope. So here's the point. The promised servant and savior that is prophesied in Isaiah to the people in Babylon at that time doesn't come for 550 years. So how did God's word and promise give them hope, we should ask, I think? Well, the reality is, is that there's a difference between the kind of hope that we normally have as human beings and the hope that God has in mind for us and that the scripture teaches us about. You know, for example, I thought of it, you know, from my own life, it would be something like this. You might say, you know, like, and when I was a kid, this would have been true. I hope my dad will get home early tonight. Why? So we can play hockey in our frozen rink in the backyard of Toronto, right? And, and that, that was true. Like, I oftentimes used to, used to you know, like, hope that. Dad would get home and, you know, he wouldn't be too tired and we'd get to play uh, in the backyard on our frozen rink. And, and so when you think about that, it, it's, actually, it's, it's, it's actually a hopeful statement, but it might be more like this. I hope dad gets home early might actually be, I don't actually have any certainty that he will. That he will get home on time. I only desire that he does. Now, now, of course, sometimes we also know that our earthly fathers and mothers and friends and brothers disappoint us. And so there's a, there's a really big difference between that and biblical hope. I want to put a definition on screen for you of what bif- biblical hope, the kind of hope that God wants you and I to have today, and it is this. Hope is a confident expectation and a desire for something really good in the future. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And not only expects it to happen, it is confident, absolutely confident that it will. So, when we apply that to the people of Israel and Babylon, In their captivity, their hope was found in the certainty that God promised to them via the prophets would, in fact, come true one day. Maybe not in their own lifetimes, maybe not even in their own generation, which was true. Maybe not then, but when God promised his servant would come, he would. And 550 years later, he did, which is why we celebrate Christmas. And so here's the key. For them anyway, when they believed that, trusted God's word, and understood how perfect his plan was, despite their circumstances, despite how hard it was, despite how from time to time it did not look like this promise was going to come true, in their land and in their homes, they had hope. And this kind of hope was all that they needed. Amen? So, listen, with that kind of hope in mind, we can now look at 
the place of preparation in our Advent and our, life today's, our lives today. I, I think like, like hope, I'm thinking we all have an understanding of preparation that, again, might not be exactly like the preparation that God has in mind, right? And, and that we see in the Scripture. For example, um, we prepare for events in our lives in a certain way. You, you all know how that works. You're inviting some people to come over for dinner, right? So, you know, you invite them a couple of weeks in advance, but then what you do is you start, you know, thinking about what it's going to be, what you're going to cook, what, you know, so you go out and you buy the groceries, you get the needed ingredients, the libations, if you're into that kind of thing, and, and, then, and then you get it home, and then, of course, the day of that they're coming, you clean the whole house up, and so you're preparing, you're preparing, and then they come, and it's awesome. Would be nice this year, wouldn't it? <sighs> it would be really nice. They come, you've prepared, you enjoy the meal, it's over. It's all over. And so it's interesting when we look at it that way after they've arrived. Now it's time to prepare for, the work, for work the next day. And so on and on it goes in our lives. We just, we're always preparing. But I want to suggest to you this kind of preparation is very much short-term. And we get used to that. We prepare, we constantly prepare, rinse and repeat, but it's short-term preparation. There's a long-term version of that that I, I think we also get to understand. Some of us who are in our 20s here or watching might not uh, ascribe to this, but you know, a good look at that would be the idea of retirement. Not that I'm believing in it or anything like that, but, but you might be in your 20s, you might think, you know, it'd be a really good idea to prepare for that point in time in my life. How would I do that? Well, I'd maybe start putting you know, 50 bucks a month into an RRSP or you know what, I'll probably keep exercising, eating well, you know, thinking that, by the time I get there, I'll actually be able to enjoy. So you prepare, and that's a long-term preparation, I would suggest to you. It's very long-term. There's an even longer term that I've learned in my life. Many years ago, I worked for a Japanese electronics company, and um, I, I'd never really met or spent a lot of time with Japanese people, and I get to work in this company, and I'm like, um, wow, the, the way they approach doing business is very different. Um, back in the day, I mean, car companies, Japanese car companies, electronics was first, and, then, and, and American companies were getting, in some places, displaced by, and their philosophy of doing business and their work philosophy was very different. And I learned that working for this Japanese company. One of the ways that works is, is that, first of all, most people who go to work for a company in Japan, they assume they're going to be working for that company for life. It used to be that way here in North America, but it doesn't work out that way anymore. But that's what they assume. But they assume one other thing, which I found amazing and actually beautiful. Their attitude towards their work every day, week after week, month after month, year after year, was they were doing this work not just for themselves and for their families and for their customers. Everything they were doing every day, there was thought given to the people who would come after them. Generation after generation, now think about that. That's amazing preparation. It's almost godly preparation, if you think about it. It was a really, really beautiful thing to see. We, we also have that, quite frankly, in people's minds who are, are, are really caring about the environment, right? I mean, if you're really benevolent on that point, and not just a placard carrier, but you're really, with your heart, believe in that, one of your thoughts is, is well, we want to leave this planet to our children and to the next generation. And so this is a, a longer-term view of preparation. There's a slowness to it. 
that can sometimes frustrate our instant gratification needs and culture, right? I'm mindful of one of Eugene Peterson's books about the Christian life. The title of that book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a good read. It's about long preparation. So this is how God works, actually. And today we will see how he prepared everything. (laughs) Absolutely everything, perfectly. In one example for the arrival of his son. It's in this text. So look at the first verses, uh, two verses with me, and then we'll have a a look at what they are telling us. Verses 1 and 2 we'll have up on screen for you to see. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So every record in the four Gospels around the first advent, the coming of Jesus, are filled with examples of God's preparation. They're just literally filled with it. You could pick almost any story in in the Gospels, and they're filled with his evidence of his preparation. This event itself was a fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. It's prophecies and God's promise going all the way back to the garden in Genesis 3, as we saw in our first week in Advent. And then there's this story. It seems, honestly, in a sense, so out of place. And as a result, some have actually disputed its veracity, that it belongs in the Bible. Well, scholars have proven they're wrong. It does. Um, It truly happened, but there's still a lot of questions. Hopefully, we'll answer some of them today. You all know, of course, the hallmark version of this story, right? You've seen the picture of the nativity, right? There's the shepherds, there's Mary and Joseph, there's lammies, right? There's baby Jesus. They're all there. But there's also the three wise men, right? They're there. They weren't. (laughs) They weren't there on that day. They came months after, actually, and Mary and, and Joseph and Jesus are actually in a home, It's interesting when we see that. We see that depiction. So we're not actually told there were three of them. Where we, I guess, get that and people come with that conclusion is that there were three gifts. But it doesn't even tell us that there were only three gifts. There's just three that we're told about. So where did this come from? Well, it's conjecture based, on, as I said, on the number of gifts. And secondly, as we've seen, they did arrive months after Jesus was born. In fact, Uh, It could have been up to nine months. These are just details, right? They're important details. The important question for us today is, I believe, not so much who they are. We're not even told their names of who they are, but why they're there in the first place. What are these guys doing there? It's, uh, I love this story. So why did God set a star, right? We saw in this text, in the sky that would lead them to Jerusalem for this purpose. So they've already seen it months ago, before he was born. So it took them a while to get here as well, we see. So what we need to see in this text is that they they saw the star, his star in the sky, which then begs the question, how did they know it was his star? I got lots of questions here. (laughs) I I love questions about these things. And we should ask these questions. Because when we do, then we see how true the scripture is. 
how true the Word of God is. And that'll give us hope. That'll give us hope. So they saw it when he was born, and then they needed to get to Jerusalem to search for him. And as I've already mentioned, the final details there is that Jesus is actually in a house, not a manger or a stable-like setting. So again, details, details. We have so far seen that Jesus and his family are still in Jerusalem. Uh, This is during the period while Herod is king. Wise men, the Greek word literally means or is magi, uh, who come from the east. That's an important detail. And as they enter Jerusalem, they start asking everyone in town, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, so we need to imagine the, uh, the picture here a little bit at this point. Historians would also tell us that these men were likely wealthy and potentially kings in their own right, and that they traveled probably with a large entourage. So it wasn't just three guys. It could have been many magi, and they would have had others with them. They were certainly also this. They were Gentiles. They were pagans, unbelievers, or at least that would be our assumption, but definitely not Jews. And so overall, their appearance in town, and especially the question they were asking, would have raised quite a stir amongst all the people. And that's why we read in verses 3 and 4, when Herod the king heard this. So it goes from the people, the plebs in town, to the king, well, the wannabe king, Herod, heard this. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. It's interesting. He inquires about the Christ, which is the name given to Jesus, which represents him as Messiah and Savior, not just King. So there you have it. It it wasn't the news that these men were in town, but the question they were asking that troubled everyone. Everyone was troubled by this. Herod is troubled and all of Jerusalem with him are troubled. Why would that be? Another question we need to ask. Well, when it came to Herod himself, he was an interesting king, for sure. We've looked into him in the past, so I won't go too deeply into it, but what we do know about him uh, was on the one hand, he was a very successful king. He had done a lot of things right. He'd built a lot of uh, uh, facilities and and, uh, services for the cities and for Jerusalem itself. Um, He was very successful. He was charged with keeping peace by the Romans, the Roman occupiers, uh, with the Jewish people and and in, in the region around Jerusalem. But we also know this about him. He was a brutal man. He was paranoid, literally. He had 10 wives. That, that, that creates trouble right there. Amen? I mean, come on, right? Uh, many, many sons, therefore, as a result. And so there were, listen, many potential heirs to his rule and his reign. He didn't like that. One bit. Paranoid. Over the years, he had several sons put to death and one wife that we know of, all based on what he perceived as potential treason, as threats to his position as king. So so he's a bit 
crazy when you think about it. And, and now, and now, listen, he, he perceives a baby, a child, as a threat. Definitely crazy. Well, he's an old man now, and he actually will die in a few years, but this child is a threat to him. So friends, listen, let's be honest, there's a point here. Jesus is a threat to every one of us who would not want or have anyone else over us in our lives. He just is. Comes as a baby. Dies on a cross to become our Savior and literally establishes himself as king of the world over all of us. goes on. These scribes and these religious leaders told Herod in verses 5 and 6, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So 430 years before Jesus, some more preparation is shown to us right here. The prophet Micah, whom they are quoting, prophesies that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. I don't know about you. I, I give my, health, my head a shake every time I read this. Like Herod needs to be told this. They know this. They quote scripture. They don't have to go to their iPhone or, they didn't have, or their Bibles and look up the verse. They quote it. They know this. This is Bethlehem. There's someone born in this town who's being told is the king, the Messiah, the Christ. They just don't get it. It's very sad. So this is preparation well in advance, is it not? 400 some odd years in Micah. So Herod has this private meeting with these wise men, his own wise men, asking when the star first arrived. Very sneaky, right? He's trying to set up the timing here. How old would this child be? which is sneaky. So now he knows approximately how old the child is, and then he says this in verse 8. Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me that I'm, I too may come and worship him. You note a little tone of sarcasm in my voice? I mean, really? Well, it, we don't go beyond verse 12 here today, but if you don't know how the story ends up, he... he makes an edict that all children up until a certain age should be killed. That's why he wanted to know the timing. So the wise men leave Herod's private little conversation, and immediately they pick up sight, immediately they pick up sight of the star, which leads them to the place where Jesus is. And then it rests over the actual house. And then we read in verses 10 and 11, or in this way we read, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You know, the, the, the idea is, is when they got to Jerusalem and they're telling everything, everybody about this, they, they no longer saw the star. They didn't see it for a time. And then they come out of Herod's palace and, and they see it again. And yes, exceedingly great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and grown men. Again, we don't know the number fall down, and worship. 
a child. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So Jesus is there with his mother, we are told. And as I've already said, without hesitation, they fall down and worship Jesus. Who are these guys? How did they know this stuff? How did they come to believe this? What a remarkable story. They then do what is appropriate when a new monarch is born. This was appropriate. They give gifts and kindly, kingly gifts at that. So that's what we're told, and there's much more depth here we could mine today. But there's also much more to tell about this story. Because it doesn't just end in this last verse, but I'll read it to you, and it gives us a hint. And being warned in a dream, these wise men, not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way, protecting Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. So it's, it's an amazing story. I mean, we could pause right there. It's, it's comforting and warming to the heart. And it, it's, it is. It's a remarkable story. They come, bow down, and worship Jesus. They leave their gifts, and then they're gone. In the process, protecting Jesus, Mary and Joseph, and later Joseph gets a dream as well to get out of town, to get out of Dodge, and they do, and that's how Jesus is saved from the wrath of Herod. But look, at this point, we're now left with all of my initial questions, all of our initial questions, and maybe even a few more that you might be thinking about. Why are they really here is what I keep asking and have been asking. Why these men? And, and frankly, again, who are they? Don't you want to know? Why are they following that star? How did they know it was his star? Well, there's a few clues here. There's a few clues. We're told, as I've mentioned, they are wise men, literally magis. We actually get the word magician from them and their history which goes way, way, way back. In fact, we first run into them in Scripture and history right around the same time that Isaiah was writing to the people who were in Babylon, right? Right around the same time as when we run into them in a major way in the Scripture. It's interesting that at the same time, around AD, uh, pardon me, BC, AD, no, BC, I'll get it right, uh, 680 to 550, we find that there's this story in Babylon, and of course, again, remember, Babylon now is where? To the east of Jerusalem. Things are starting to add up a little bit. And in those days, they were advisors to the kings in the inner courts, and so we see an interesting clue or tie-in with Herod's summoning of the chief priests and the wise scribes. And one of those clues is also where we see warned in a dream. That's just amazing. So let me take you back to Babylon. B.C. 550 or a little earlier even than that into the Old Testament in those days. You remember there was another story about a young boy in Babylon at that time, right? His name was Daniel. He was in exile with three of his buddies at the same time. And they were chosen to be part of Nebuchadnezzar's inner circle. 
they were young and they were going to be trained. And so they, they had to be trained in all the ways, including the food, customs, and so forth, which they rebelled against, which they should have, which was good. They, they were vegetarians. They wanted to not eat his meat that was sacrificed to idols. But they were also indoctrinated into the ways of the Magi, which is very interesting. Who were in those days astrologers, more, more like astronomers than the modern-day astrologers, but they, they looked to the stars, and they tried to get um, uh, uh, ways to be able to advise the kings based on the stars. So there's kind of a mixture there. One night uh, in the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's a frightening dream for him. None of his wise men can uh, tell him what the dream means. Uh, and he actually poses the, to them in a very interesting way. He's beginning to become a little skeptical. Smart guy. He, he's beginning to believe that these guys are just making up the interpretation of the dreams. So he sets it up this way. He says, tell you what, you need to tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. Well, well of course, none of them could do that. None of them could do that. They say, actually, it's impossible. King, it's impossible. Nobody can do that, Right? Well, that's what they say. So Nebuchadnezzar decides at that point, okay, you're all going to die. He's going to put to death every single one of his now wise men, his magis, and that would include Daniel and his three buddies. Well, Daniel gets word of this, and he pleads with his overseer, Arioch, at the time, who was given the responsibility to kill them all. And Daniel says these words to him. He asks him, do not kill the wise men. Daniel doesn't say, hey, don't kill me and my three buddies. He says, don't kill any of the wise men, of course, including myself and my three friends. He says, look, I will pray to my God and, and ask him to reveal the dream. That night, Daniel prays. God reveals the dream to him. The next day, he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and tells Nebuchadnezzar not only what the dream was, but the full interpretation of what it means. Nebuchadnezzar is completely blown away. Wouldn't you be? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we read about the story in Daniel 2 in verses 46 to 48, and this is what we are told. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts. He's kind of like a Christ figure, isn't he? This Daniel guy. And made him look at this. Ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Wow. Friends, 550 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, God hears the prayer of a young boy, Daniel. He then is able to not only provide the answer to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but look at this, save the lives of all the wise men in Babylon. And then have them placed under his tutelage and leadership for the rest of his days in Babylon, which we assume would be about 50 to 60 years approximately in history. 
that he was the leader of all the wise men. I have a few more questions. Do you think at all that they were grateful for the grace that was shown to them by Daniel and by Daniel's God that saved their lives in those days? Do you think, do you think maybe that any of those wise men passed what happened there on generation after generation after? Do you think at all that in that 40 to 50 years, Daniel spent any time whatsoever teaching them about the God of the Bible and the prophecies of the one who would come? Do you think? Do you think that might be why they're looking for his star and they find it? And then the God of the Bible brings these men, these Gentile men from Babylon, to witness the birth of the Messiah, the King. That, my friends, is long-term preparation. How far did God go? Does He go? And is He willing to go to bring about His perfect plans? I mean, come on. How far do you think? He prepared all the events in history to line up perfectly so that they might see and we might see who this babe born on Christmas Day truly is. Despite the chief priests, the scribes, and the religious leaders, along with the wannabe king Herod, knowing that the Hebrew Scripture told them that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, God prepared a group of Gentile men to come and worship His Son. He's doing the same thing for you and I here today. Friends, if you are on Christ, in Christ here today, He prepared your heart. He prepared your heart to receive His Son as your Lord and Savior. And, and He also prepare, prepares every event in your life up until this day and until that day. He's preparing you. Let me suggest that this Christmas, let's continue, let's continue to approach our preparation a little differently. Let's be intentional this year and next and the year after, Lord willing, to prepare our hearts to, yes, remember and celebrate His first advent while preparing for His second. 500 years of preparation for his birth before he was born from the time of Babylon. It's been 2,000 years now. How much longer do you think he needs to prepare? Well, hopefully he's preparing your heart. Think as well of your Christian life, friends, as one long, intentional, and marvelous preparation for the journey to your final destination, which is your true home, what might, if all of these things be true, and they are, this Christmas and all of your Christmases look like going forward? Pray with me, would you?